0: Let's pray. Father, this morning we are grateful. We're here with gratitude joy. We're grateful for the blessings, the gifts of this life, even in the midst of hardship. Grateful that you've called us to be your family, that you gather us together so that we can be reminded of who you are and what you've done so we can encourage one another as we go out into the world. As you know, it's a tough place to go out into. But you give us everything we need as you send us. So we pray that this morning, as always, that as the scriptures are read, as the gospels proclaim, that we would receive it not just as information, but that it would transform us, that it would fill us, that it would feed us, nourish us, that it would give us what we need to live in this world as you call us to live. So, open our minds, our eyes, our ears, and our hearts that we could receive the word today. As always, we pray that that transforming work would be evident as we go out into the world and live the truth. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. So, let's start with the great commandment from Mark chapter 12. Jesus is asked a question, he responds to the greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your mind, with all your strength, and, and, y'all do know the great commandment, right? (laughs) They had this problem at 932, so to love your neighbor as yourself, and to love your neighbor as yourself, yeah, good, the energy is alive in the room today, you guys awake? (laughs) No, not at all, okay, wake up. All right, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. These aren't original to Jesus. Like, he didn't make things up. Okay, I mean, I guess eternally speaking, he did make this up. But, I mean, when he said this, it wasn't new to the people that heard it. Moses gave these laws a long time ago. He gave the command to love the Lord with your heart, mind, soul, and strength in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He gave the command to love your neighbor as yourself even earlier than that in Leviticus 19. They're just two of the 613 laws in the Old Testament that were given to Israel. And they were given those laws so that God's family would live well, so that they could prosper, so that the character and the nature of God would be revealed to the nations around them, so that the nations around them would see, hey, there's, there's like a better way to live in relationship with the true and living God. But throughout the Old Testament story, Ancient Israel is often crippled by their own disobedience. God had showed them the road to real life. He showed the road to them. He mapped it out for them literally. But they had a really hard time living it out. Every human who has ever lived has had a really hard time living it out. That's what sin has done to us. That turning inward upon ourselves that we've been talking about for the past couple weeks And that's the problem. Humans who are turned inward upon themselves are now commanded to look outward beyond themselves and to love God and to love others. And y'all, I'm telling you, on our own strength, this is impossible. Like clearly, encouragement is not one of my spiritual gifts, right? (laughs) Don't worry, it gets better. This is week 11 in our search for what is true about me and about you. And week by week, we've been putting together the pieces of who and what we are. And we have seen that we are known because God has searched us and knows us. That we are loved, not because of anything we've done, but simply because God has chosen to love us. That we are worth dying for, not because we deserve that kind of a sacrifice. The opposite is true. We're worth dying for because Jesus said we were and he did something about it. And we are made in the image of God to be God's representatives here on earth, to be shepherd kings in the midst of God's creation. And we are broken by sin. Humans have become broken images living in a world full of chaos and confusion. So are we just stuck? Like ancient Israel or are we a people who have been given a map to real life, but any attempt to live it out is pointless because it's impossible, it's hopeless? Are we just doomed to repeat the cycle over and over? We know it's not, but it can feel that way sometimes. Because the truth is, it is hopeless if the power and faithfulness that we rely on is our own. So there's one final piece to this puzzle, one final we are that I want to share with you today. We are known, we are loved, worth dying for, made in the image of God, we are broken. But for those who are in Christ, we are a new creation. And this comes to us from from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Like, just pay attention to the words. Does it say if anyone is in Christ, the new creation will come once they die? Is that what it says? No. Oh, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Now, I'm telling you, this is the argument that Paul is making throughout all of his letters. Because of the cross and the empty tomb, the world is changing we are being changed. He's not offering some new philosophy. He's not even offering new religion. He's giving us good news about Jesus, and it's good news that anyone and everyone is invited to be reconciled to the God in whose image they were made, to live in relationship with a God who knows them, who loves them, who made a way for them to be reconciled by dying for them so that they can know and love him in return. We are being made new. We are a new creation. So today I just want to turn to Romans and I want to ask Paul a couple questions. Very practical, simple questions. What does this new creation life look like? And how can I live it? So Romans 12 gives answers to both of those questions. And I am convinced that what Paul is doing is he is inviting anyone and everyone who will listen to begin to live life now as an anticipation of the life that we expect to live forever. So I wanna read all of chapter 12 this morning, and then we're just gonna consider quickly the implications that it has on our lives today. So this is Romans 12, starting in verse one. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many parts, and these parts do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each part belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I want to stop there for just a minute. This new creation life, it starts with a transformation of our whole selves, And these gifts are one of the ways in which that new self is embodying the life of Christ. These are are different gifts that are given to those who are in Christ, who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts. If you've you've never taken a spiritual gifts assessment, there's a QR code, and we also have handouts in the Narthex when you leave today. If you've never taken one, take it. If If it's been a while, take one again. And if you want to share the results... I promise you, we can find a way for you to put those gifts to use. Don't worry. (laughs) We'll figure out something for you to do. But if you've never taken a spiritual gifts assessment, you should take it. These are gifts given to those who are in Christ. Now, I mentioned the great commandment earlier, to love the Lord your God with heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you all know by now that I love digging into the original language And this week, when I went and read it in the Hebrew in Deuteronomy 6, I found something interesting. I mean, I didn't find it. Scholars have found it a long time ago. I just never seen it before. Um, But it's the Hebrew word for strength. So the great commandment to love the Lord your God with your heart and your mind is only one word. It's the word lev or levav. It means both heart and mind. With all your soul, that's the Hebrew word nefesh. That's the breath of God in you. And then it says with all your strength, and it uses the Hebrew word me'od. And when I first saw it, like, confession, here's, our, here's how arrogant I guess I am. When I first saw that word in the Hebrew Bible, I thought there was a mistake. <laughs> confession, okay. But, there, but there's a reason, because I recognized that word immediately. It's used over 300 times in the Old Testament. It's first used in Genesis 1. Let me show you. In verse 31, and God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. It's the Hebrew phrase, tov mayod. Tov is the word for good. Y'all, mayod is an adverb. It's the Hebrew word for very. (laughs) It was tov mayod. It was good, very Ma'od does not mean strength at all. The great commandment literally says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your very. (laughs) I mean, that's strange, right? That's strange. Ma'od is this really common Hebrew word that just intensifies everything around it. Very this, much of. All of that. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, he says it like this. He says, people are called to love God with all their heart. That is their will and affections with all their soul. That is their whole life, their physical being. And with all their mayode, that is with all their muchness. <laughs> the first Greek translation of the Old Testament, when it got to this word mayode, it translated as strength. That's where we get it from. But the first Aramaic translation of the Old Testament, and Aramaic is the common language during the time of Jesus, it translated the word meod as wealth. All the rich people wanted it to say strength really quickly, right? <laughs> now, do you, do you see the point? Like your gifts, your talents, your treasures, the things of this world... Whatever it is that you have much of, love God with all of it. Serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, showing mercy, all of it. All of these things from verses 6 through 8 and even more. Whatever it is that God has given you much of, love him with it. Someone on staff during the week says, that means that we get to be extra does that word mean anything to y'all? Yeah, there must be a generational gap. At, at 9.30, it didn't mean anything to them either. So apparently me and this other person are just right smack dab in that generational gap. It's like, it's a way of saying that somebody's being really dramatic. They're being extra, right? They're a little over the top. Yes. Yes, Christians are often extra dramatic and sometimes in the worst possible ways. But scripture is calling us to be dramatic, to be extra to express our muchness in the best ways, to love God with all of our muchness. Listen, this is not philosophy, and this is not new religion. This is about a fully embodied way of life. The reformation, not only of our hearts and our minds, but our body, our whole selves, all that we are and all that we have, given in loving service to God. So Paul continues to describe this embodied life. He says this in verse nine. And I'm telling you, everything I'm about to read is gonna sound really idealistic. Paul was no idealist. He means this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, Presbyterians. (laughs) I added that. (laughs) Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And then in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is not idealistic philosophy. This is not new religion. That describes a fully embodied life. And whose life does that sound like? All of Romans 12, who is it describing? Sincerely and humbly loving Opposed to evil in all its forms, joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, did he blessed those who persecuted him? He did not repay that evil with evil. Who does that sound like? Yeah, this is the life of Jesus. Now, do you see what Paul is doing? Do you see the kind of life that he's inviting you to live? He's inviting you to live the life of Christ, not after you die. Now, now listen, you don't get to the kingdom by living this way. You are first saved by grace through faith so that you can live this kingdom life now and forever. The question as always is how? How? <laughs> So here's what's interesting about Romans 12, and I need you all to take a deep breath. Breathe in patience, because it takes a little bit of grammar work to get there. And I'm gonna spare you some of the details. And first, again, remember, our salvation completely dependent upon the work of Jesus for us and the work of the Holy Spirit in us, right? Like I said earlier, apart from Christ and the Holy Spirit, it's impossible It's impossible, we're hopeless. If the power and faithfulness we rely on is our own. Romans one through 11 makes that absolutely clear. We cannot save ourselves. But the transformation that happens to us as a result of that salvation, now that's a different story. And the grammar in Romans 12 makes this clear. So here's the deal, Romans 12, one through two, ready? It uses present middle imperative verbs. You don't need to know what those are. I'll tell you. (laughs) They're commands. Offer yourselves. Do not be conformed. Be transformed. I said I'd spare you some of the details, not all of them. But present middle imperative verbs, they are commands that are expected to be followed. And not just one time. These are commands that are expected to be followed over a period of time. Like you may go to the doctor and the doctor might tell you, eat better. Y'all, he doesn't just mean for lunch that day, (laughs) right? Like he means over time, all the time. It's a present tense verb because we are always in the present. It's always right now. So we should always be doing these things. The middle voice, that tells us that this verb is something that we do not to others. It's something we do to ourselves. Feed yourself. Romans 12 teaches that we play a part in this. Do not conform to the world around you. Be transformed by cooperating, by aligning yourself, by feeding yourself with the word of God, by being formed by his spirit. Not just today, always. These are commands. Do this and continue doing it. That's verses one through two. But here's what's amazing. In verse three, everything changes. The grammar changes. There's a pastor named Alistair Begg, and he says, the rest of chapter 12, it's full not of imperative verbs or commands. The verbs all change, and they're now in the indicative. And again, you don't need to know what that means. I'll tell you. The indicative doesn't command. It just indicates what should be. The commands are to offer your body, to not conform, to be transformed. And then everything that follows in verses three through 21, simply indicate the kind of life that should be lived as a result. If I am not conformed to the world around me, but if I am transformed, then I should be sincerely and humbly humbly loving. I should be opposed to evil. I should be joyful in hope. I should be patient in affliction. I should be faithful in prayer. I should bless those who curse me. I should not resort to repaying evil for evil. I don't know how to tell you this, but I am not always sincerely and humbly loving. I am not always joyful and hopeful and patient. But I am a new creation. I am not yet who God intends for me to be, but I am not who I was. I am a new creation and so are you. And listen, this is hard, but it's actually really helpful. It's a gift because when we look at that list and when we see the deficiencies in our lives, it just shows us, it's a gift. It shows us, here's an area that now you can address. Take it to the Lord. Stop conforming. Be transformed. Remember, this isn't about salvation. It's about sanctification, becoming more Christ-like. We are being invited to drink that cup now, to live the Christ-like life, to live now in anticipation of the life that we will live forever. And that means there's work to do now in cooperation with the Holy Spirit And by his faithfulness and our obedience over time, we will become more and more like our savior, not perfectly today, but more tomorrow than we were today, then the next day and the next. But again, as always, the question is how? So let me wrap up with this. I was discussing this with the retired men last week and we stumbled upon what, at least in in our class, proved to be a pretty useful analogy. And as I think about it, this is simultaneously the best and worst possible time for me to share this analogy with you. And you're going to see why in just a minute. But just imagine, imagine a table that's set for dinner and you approach the table to take your place. Now, maybe, maybe you're a head of the table kind of person. And I mean, that's okay. You know, head of the household, that's fine. Maybe you're not a head-of-the-table person. Maybe, maybe you're a bit more humble. Maybe you're like, I'll sit in the stool on the corner of the table so nobody else has to. You know, and it's like that stool that's like, it's never the same height as all the chairs. So you're either like too tall or you're just like head and shoulders at the table. Like, I am scarred by that. <laughs> or I don't know, is anybody in this room still like a, you know, I have to sit at the kids' table? Is that your stage of life? No, nobody? None of that matters, actually, it doesn't matter. Um, Just take your seat at the table, okay? Now imagine on one side of that table, one side of that table is filled with food that is just like, oh my gosh, it's the best. Like the best food that is just the worst for you. Like on one side of the table, all the best tasting stuff like carbs and calories and sugars, just the stuff that tastes so good as it slowly degrades and destroys your body from the inside out. (laughs) And then on the other side of the table, you know, what many consider like the boring stuff, you know, nutrients and vitamins, (laughs) the things that give you energy and sustenance that you need to not only stay alive, but so that your body can grow and be healthy and thrive, you know, like healthy bones and skin and muscles and hair. Restoring your heart and mind, your soul and strength, you know, all the boring stuff. (laughs) For the sake of the analogy, the food itself is what's going to lead to either life or death. The food is what's going to transform you from the inside. But you gotta choose which side of the table you're gonna eat from. And it's not just about the choice you make at one meal. It's about the choices you make consistently, what you do to yourself over time. I told you, this is the best possible analogy because, you know, Thanksgiving. It's also the worst possible time for the analogy because I may have just single-handedly ruined Thanksgiving for you. (laughs) I was thinking through our Thanksgiving table and I don't remember like Brussels, Brussels sprouts or anything green, to be honest with you. I don't know listen it's about choices over time consistent choices over time like will I choose to eat the good thing from the side of the table that leads to life or not the thing that goes in me is what does the transforming work gives me the power and the strength that I need but I'm choosing what goes in and y'all I'm no nutritionist I do not make healthy choices at meals all the time all analogies break down at some point but do you get the point and this is not about works righteousness. We, again, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. No matter how hard I try, I cannot save myself. But I am being invited to participate in the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in and through me to make me more Christ-like. Today, it's grace through faith that saves. But salvation always It's grace by faith that saves, but salvation always leads to works that transform us and the world around us. The kind of life that both proclaims and displays the greatest news that history has ever known. And I'm telling you that there's a chance that in our culture That people have bought into a lie, a half-truth. That the purpose of coming to faith in Jesus Christ is fire insurance. So that you can escape hell. That after your death, you find yourself in heaven. And y'all, hallelujah, praise God that that's true. You heard me say that's true, right? (laughs) We all have that great hope. But that is not the whole truth. The idea that what Christ did only matters after I'm dead is foreign to the scriptures. That life that I expect to live forever, I'm invited to start living it now. All I need to do is just make one choice at a time. So here's a practice for you. Um, There's going to be a a QR code that's going to come up on the screen. Romans 12 through nine, depending on how you count it, you can make your own list, but I broke it down into 23 marks of the life of Christ. There's a copy out in the North 42 if you don't know how to use the QR codes, but 23 different markers of the life of Christ in this one chapter. Just take them one at a time. Just take one at a time. You can only eat one thing at a time, right? Wait, are... Okay, see, I had a feeling. Look, so at 9.30, nobody in the room were those people who like just pile everything on top of each other on their plate at Thanksgiving. But, you know, I love you, but this is a little older crowd and I knew there would be some people in here. Is that what you do? You go through the line at Thanksgiving and you just pile? And you eat it okay, listen, my grandfather did that. And I love you, but I need to tell you the truth. You're wrong. You're wrong. That's not how you eat. Separate your food, eat one thing at a time. (laughs) For the sake of my analogy, how about that? Okay. Just take one thing at a time. Take these markers one at a time. Ask God to meet you in the midst of it and give you the strength to cooperate and be transformed by him. Like, is your love not always sincere? Is it sometimes selfish? Confess it. Be honest. God can handle it. He already knows. Humans turned inward upon themselves can only love selfishly. So confess it and ask Jesus to meet you in the midst of it. Ask the Holy Spirit to take self-centeredness and turn it into sincere humility. Is your faith lacking enthusiasm and joy? Presbyterians. (laughs) Is our faith sometimes lacking enthusiasm and joy? Are you here this morning just because that's your routine? You're supposed to be here. Or maybe you're here because somebody made you come. Or are you here because there's a passionate desire within you to be in the presence of the Lord and to be with His family? Whichever it is, just confess it. Be honest. He can handle it. And He already knows. If you don't really want to be here, tell Him that you don't really want to be here. And then ask Jesus to meet you in the midst of it anyway. Ask the Holy Spirit to take that apathy that so often sets in. Take that apathy and turn it into pure joy. Listen, I don't know what it is for you. Go through that list, 23 markers. I'm confident you're gonna find something. And just eat one thing at a time. Y'all, what if we become a people, like as a church, what if we become a people who know who we are? Maybe we don't always feel like it's true, but we know that we are known, that we are loved, that we are worth dying for, that we are made in the image of God, that we are broken, but that we are being made a new creation. What if we had a vision for the kind of life that that identity leads to? Like how beautiful might we be in a world that's so ugly? How effective might we be in our mission? How dangerous might we be to everything that opposes the will of God? But how can I test and approve the good and perfect will of God if I'm not being fed by his word? If I'm not being formed by his spirit, if I'm not active and participating in his mission in the world, if I'm not living out the gospel at home, at work, at school, in retirement, in the neighborhood, on the golf course, wherever, if I'm not living the gospel out as I go, wherever I go, how can I truly live if the cup is sitting on its shelf? And if I don't eat from the side of the table, that actually leads to life.